What you're hearing isn't just the sound of shaking dice, but the fate of armies, empires, and even the United Federation of Planets being decided. It's 8 o'clock on Tuesday evening in a hall in Glasgow city centre, and the air is thick, not just with bullets and phasers set to stun, but with tea, chocolate hobnobs, and chatter. This is the weekly meeting of the Glasgow Games Group, or G3 for short, and there are 40 or 50 people grouped around tables playing board games, tabletop war games, and role-playing games. Tabletop gaming and role-playing are creative, social activities enjoyed by men, and yes, some women, and are limited only by their players' imaginations and the rules of the games being played. Throughout this programme, we'll be hearing little excerpts of live gaming action. But before we do so, and to set the scene, Kenny Burns will tell us more about the various types of games available. Kenny owns A1 Games in Glasgow City Centre, a shop that supplies Glasgow's community of gamers. You've got your traditional war games, which tends to be historically based. Napoleonics, World War II, things like that, Ancients. You've got your fantasy tabletop games, like Warhammer and Warhammer 40k. Within the other games there, you've got board games. And I don't mean traditional Monopoly, Cluedo, Scrabble, which is what the British have been brought up on during the 80s and the 90s been fed only that by Hasbro and Mattel like the tradition these monopolies the only game out there the rest of Europe was developing new ideas for games like Settlers of Catan and Carcassonne and board games like that and it was and it was really a family unit that was buying these things and getting into it and board games exploded in the continent we are now catching up with it here so board games is a, a massive market in, in, in Europe now and including the UK you've also got trading card games most people know Pokemon, even people who do not understand anything about gaming know what Pokemon is. As a card game, as opposed to being a, the computer game or the DS game, it's as a card game. And the last but not least is role-playing games, which has been about since the 70s, with the most famous one being Dungeons & Dragons. Everybody knows what Dungeons & Dragons is, even if they don't know about what it is, they know the name. And there's new stuff coming out all the time basically based on any genre you can find a game about it so if you want to play a space marine you can the other big game out there if you want to play a dungeon fighter there's a game out there if you want to play a nurse there's probably a game out there for it somewhere you know i will happily go down to engineering and see if we can squeeze some extra juice out of the drives and what about people who want to splice those different scenarios can they mix and match those games for my business one of the things that we always said at the beginning when we set up was games are games there's no definition. They're games. And the same sort of people are attracted to these games. So what's finally came true, because we've been doing this for a long time, is that is now the marketplace. People who play card games also play board games, also play tabletop games, and also play role-playing games. Back in maybe even only 10 years ago, there might have been a bit of tribalism. Like board gamers don't mix with tabletop gamers, don't mix with card gamers. Card gamers are, oh, that card game's horrible. But that doesn't really happen now. Maybe it's to do with marketing and the way people, you know, foresee things, but everything is now games. So there is a great a great more likelihood that people will play about everything. The one thing about all games, it's basically a, an opportunity to sit down and speak and talk and communicate with people around you. You're basically sitting with a group of people, whether it's a tabletop game or a board game. A board game sitting with a glass of wine, tabletop game you know sitting swearing at each other and getting angry because your dice rolls are terrible or a role-playing game and you're basically it's all about social talking hanging out being friends so that's our introduction to gaming but we might as well grasp the nettle and address the issue of perceived geekiness as gaming is much like other activities a bit of fun and a way of hanging out with other people why is it in particular perceived as being a little geeky. That's a 22nd century attitude and I will not have it on my ship. With the role-playing games, 
you basically, and I guess the explanation of what a role-playing game can be perceived as why it can be seen as being geeky is that you're going in and playing a part. So you maybe are a barbarian. Now, for someone looking outside, this is why would you want to go at the weekend and play a barbarian? The same with the Star Trek game you're talking about. They're basically playing members of the Star Trek cast. You know, they're on the Enterprise, but or whatever ship the it'll be won't be the Enterprise, but it'll be something similar, and you're playing that part. And the games master is in control of it, and he's making the scenario up, whether he's written it himself or it's pre-made. And you're playing a part in his story. You're basically taking those players on an imaginative adventure, and they and their reactions to what you're putting down to it. You have to react back as the games master, and a good games master will sometimes cheat because he's trying to make the people in the room enjoy themselves. You know that's why they invented a games master screen because you can't, so you can hide what your dice is rolling. But a good games master, you know, it's keeping the story flowing, keeping the entertainment, yeah. keeping the guys happy, making them want to come back next week where they can have a bit of fun with the people around them. Oh, I have my finger on the big red button. What do you think those gamers think of that geeky perception? Because I don't think they care. I don't think they care either. I really don't think they care. There's a degree of guys with the shop. We see a degree of guys coming in who fit the geeky personality 100%, but they're totally oblivious that they are, so they don't care. I mean, you also get some people who are on the verge of being very strange. Now, no, they don't care. <laughs> um, but most, I mean, most of the guys we deal with, most of the guys that uh, do gaming are very, very normal, incredibly normal. So, I mean, you know, but they don't care about the, the geek thing. I think it's uh, it's something the British press is very responsible for in this country. Uh, during the 80s and 90s, there was an explosion going on with the European board games. And the press basically were saying, this is a geeky thing to do. There's, a, there's new PlayStations out, fling your kids in front of the telly, you know, they do that. It was never perceived as a good thing to be a gamer, to, yeah. to sit and play board games or thing. And we and you're sitting with your family, of course it's a good thing. And Or if you're playing a war game, you're going out and going to a club. Or if you're playing a card game, playing card games for kids. They're getting to sit and talk to kids at their own age and they're talking. I mean, we used to run Yu-Gi-Oh events and it was unbelievable. The kids just would start, open up and start talking to each other about a subject they understood and were really into but it was always seen outside by the press no it's a you know look at these geeks ha 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 it's like follow football you know it's this is not a cool thing but it has slowly changed when people realise it's a hobby like any other hobby can we not techno babble this up rather than flashing the running lights in the probe can you not direct like a maser stream at it what sort of person plays that sort of game oh that's such a hard question to answer 20 years ago that was a male student it's not like that anymore it's still the the entire hobby not just role playing is male dominated but there is a lot more girls into it now there is still a lot of students but a lot of students have grown up and not stopped playing as that group is a prime example those guys are all professional business people they're all they're all in their 30s 40s they've all got full-time jobs or i mean but they did it when they were at college or even at school and they've just kept doing it and they might stop it doing it for a few years and then come back and a new system will grab their attention some of them are married and they may have stopped it you know and they've went back to it went i've got some time i can do this this is this is good i don't need to get drunk or go go to the disco anywhere i can sit and do this and 
have a gab and have fun with my mates. Go look at the shiny, shiny. I used to get White Dwarf and I used to have Middle Earth role playing when I was younger. I didn't do it very well at all. I would open that book and it would be the Thieves of Tharbad or some city that didn't really feature in the Lord of the Rings, but someone had then taken the idea and run with it. And I could immediately suspend my disbelief and I was immediately there. I was transported into that world and it was instantaneous. So I think a big part of it is imagination. Can you tell me a little bit about that from the gamer's perspective in terms of, you know, just letting your imagination go and buying into it? Exactly what you said. There is no other type of entertainment or publishing which goes into the subject so detailed. Like Lord of the Rings is a great example. Every single small city, town, that was mentioned in those books, had a book out explaining who was living there, what was in the town, what their made trade trade is, who would be attacking them, who would be defending them. This is long before the movies, which you now have, yeah. that's, that's now in the general mainstream because there's websites that do it. But we're talking in the late 80s and 90s, these things were existing and the, the only way you could get them was in role-playing books. The fact that the people writing it were so in love with the idea of creating these universes they were instantly they were books were well written and you're instantly getting people coming in and going and connecting to it completely and utterly going yeah i know this from the book i've read that i want to learn some more the, the big one that springs to my mind is a system which is sort of not with us anymore is the vampire one vampire the masquerade which was a computer game and various stuff i would say 75 percent of the people that bought that didn't play the game they bought it because they, they understood the, the setting it spurred something in their imagination they were well written they enjoyed it and you would get guys just coming in and buying those books new one came out they'd buy a new one they weren't no intention of playing it at all that's going into proper writing you know that's yeah. becoming a proper book at that point even though it's a role-playing book are you guys sending power to the vulcan science fest so basically you're refilling its glass for it with poison delving deeper into gaming culture takes us to live action role-playing or larping which involves the actual acting out of the game in character and in the flesh. Kenny told me a bit more about the world of wizard costumes, rubber elf ears, and health and safety compliant weaponry. Again, this is a, a European thing. In Northern Europe, that live role-playing is massive. Huge. You cannot go into a game shop in Germany and Denmark and places like that and not find swords and armour and things to wear. In this country, you do get guys doing historical reenactments, especially in England. Not so much here in Scotland. There's three Viking societies in Scotland, and that's it. But in England, you will get guys doing English Civil War, Napoleonics, World War Two, and fantasy. But you don't really find a lot of it up here. A lot of I do know Scottish guys that go down to England to do it. But even then, it's even amongst the gaming community, it's somewhat frowned upon. Why? <laughs> I really don't know. I think it's just because it's not it's not established yet. It just seems so different. But again, on the continent, it's just totally established. I mean, they just go into the woods and they reenact fantasy stuff. And yeah, it's big, 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 big scene. So I guess it may explode here at some time in the future. Vampires always had a live action scene, which is really big in the UK. Really big. Actually, there's two or three meet weekly in Glasgow. They're live action role playing, but they're meeting in a hall or in a back, back room of a pub. And... The imagination is that they are playing their characters completely, but they have to imagine they're somewhere else. So, like you're in this area, and then and then they. But the, the interaction between the players is them and their character, and they have various symbols that they can do to show that they're using their powers. What like? Well, crushing your arms in front of you, you're invisible. Um, that's the only one I know off the top of my head. But you know, you various. So you can use a hand signal to say, "I'm using this power." 
And then that, that's basically taking t- sitting around the table with your friends yeah. to a whole new level. You're basically you're walking around the room acting out the part. The acting part. You need to be bought into it because if you're not acting it convincingly, it's going to r- reduce the fun for other people. I hear what you're saying, but it's not a drama school. There's a lot of guys are not very good at it, but they're enjoying themselves, and yeah. I think it's in the the, the, the enjoyment. It's, it comes back down to you for all of this. It's yeah. enjoyment, socialising, enjoyment. If you want to be a vampire doing it, that's fine. They're not trying to act. They're trying to have a good night. Then that's what it comes yeah. down to. If you're having a good night, you're, then you're, the people around you should have a good night. And if someone's stressing that you're not realistic enough, then they've got the problem, yeah. I would think. I will launch another probe to probe the probe. Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games used to be considered a little bit geeky. But now you get games like Assassin's Creed or whatever it might be for the Xbox and the PlayStation advertised at 40 quid a pop. When did they go from being a little bit geeky to being cool? That's that's a tough question. Get I guess WoW World of Warcraft was the big changeover. I mean, there's been games in the past, but the fact that World of Warcraft, the online game, has so many players worldwide, makes so much money, and is universally accepted as being a cool thing, and it's basically based on Warhammer. That became you know universally popular and fantasy became acceptable so i guess at that point and then people a lot of these games companies are always looking around for other people's ideas and saying like shadow run just got released recently i mean that was originally a role-playing game you know a lot of people probably don't know that it was originally a role-playing game it's just a really nice uh, sci-fi setting and it's done really well and and you see that with a lot of things it's, it didn't happen deliberately it was just a uh, stealing ideas and companies buying licenses and swapping ideas between each other and uh, yeah it has became and, and lord of the rings obviously the movies when games workshop got the license to do the tabletop game for that it'd always been the role-playing game like the middle earth one and they'd never been that successful but that tabletop game for games workshop changed a lot of things for them at that point in that company's career they were struggling a bit and then lord of the rings came along which was the license they'd had for ages and it just exploded made that company so much money but hurt the mainstream they ended up publishing one of those um weekly monthly magazines with a free miniature issue two comes free uh you know they ended up really you know and that that's mainstream that that's in there that that's a mainstream um line so that changed a lot. So in the last few years, yeah, there's been a lot of changes where, it, where it's been acceptable. The amazing thing is we've not never seen a good Dungeons & Dragons film. We've seen three, I think, and they're being universally pretty rubbishy. And maybe it's because of those three films it's not happened, but I actually, that's the one big licence you'd suspect there would have been something out for. Vulcans don't go around mind-melding with everything. How do you see it um, maturing in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Or evolving? Everything's always evolved with it. Um, there was a period when Dungeons and Dragons nearly went out of business, and the entire games in the industry. This would be, uh, I guess, the late eighties. Um, the entire industry was on the verge of falling on its ass, uh, and then came along collectible card games, Magic the Gathering, and saved the industry. Now, there's a lot of guys who say I'm wrong in that statement, but they ended up buying TSR over and relaunching Dungeons and Dragons and kept the whole thing going. And that injection into the hobby kept a lot of hobby shops going and kept a lot of small other companies that tied on to that going and it kept everything working and and we saw the explosion of trading cards it got massive and massive and and it's now 
not as big as it was. It's there's like three established ones, whereas after Magic came out, there was probably two hundred. Then the first couple years, it came and went. Some of them good, some of them rubbish. So you've seen that evolution. You've seen the same that sort of evolution with the tabletop thing, the tabletop thing and role playing at the early days. And um, so the gate, the, the entire thing is completely evolving. The current big change is Euro games coming into the UK and and making you know you're now getting family sitting down and playing with a game let's say it was a Catan, husband and wife and kids and that and their friends or even like a group of friends two, two married couples sitting down with a glass of bottle of wine sitting playing a game like that which you'd never never have seen uh, you know it just wouldn't have happened um, so there's a lot more information on the internet that allows people to do that but word of mouth is amazing so we've seen that that evolution the big one that's in the, the crux just now is role playing there's a lot of role playing games going out of business publishing is so expensive and putting games online hasn't quite got to where it should be well, as in they can't make the money out of it correct yeah. they, they just can't make the money I mean White Wolf who did Vampire just they're not really a company anymore and they tried to do the whole PDF download by you know and it just doesn't work gamers like a bit of paper in their hand they like a book but publishing so expensive it's really difficult for cash flow for a lot of these companies there is quite a few successful role playing games but the big the big one that's coming out is the new edition of Dungeons and Dragons there's a new edition of Dungeons and Dragons coming out which for the first time ever they've given to the fan base to design because the internet's there which was never been you couldn't do this in the past they've been getting people to volunteer sending out rules to them getting them to play those rules and then giving feedback. Now, whatever rule set you got maybe in your part of the world and what I got may not be the same, and then they take the feedback back, work on it, and hopefully the system that they're going to come out with will be the ultimate versions of Dungeons & Dragons. And uh, are you looking forward to that? Yeah. Are you going to play it? Mm, I'll read it. Why might you not play it? Um, Just friend base. You know, I'd end up games mastering it. And I really can't be arsed. You know, I, I organise enough in my business. I reckon you were probably a very good games master. Well, I had more moments. I was, yeah, I could, I could do it. I could tell a story when I wanted. Can you give me some examples then of the the stories that you told, or you know what you did as a games master? Bizarre ones. Okay, I can come at a bizarre one. I used to play Call of Cthulhu, and I based an entire, I guess it was over a month worth of play on a Metallica song. Um, I just wrote it out as a poem The Soft Master of Puppets That is about Cthulhu And I just wrote it out as a, a poem And then basically took each paragraph As a, a scenario idea And then they followed the, the scenario for the, the Based on the Metallica song I think one or two of them eventually realised What it was <laughs> You know, like, alright Um that was one example. We used to play Marvel superheroes, a much maligned system, which was better than everybody thought, because it was soulless. But I used to, if you would get the current comics, and you could basically put the current comics into scenarios straight away. Okay, so you were taking stuff around you and turning that into scenarios, and correct. Yeah, taking everyday things around me and putting it into scenarios. Yeah. What else I think will change is the the, the male female divide. It's getting thinner and thinner. It's been a, a male-dominated hobby for years. I think the demographic's changing. There's a lot more girls interested. They don't perceive it as, I don't know, geeky or male-dominated, and they're willing to come in and play board games and role-playing and, and, and everything. Card games especially. Girls are much better at card games anyway. Oh, much better. Why? I don't know. Every time I sit down and play one, and I always get beat by a girl. <laughs> and you're like, how did you do that? Tabletop gaming. It's probably the only thing that's still going to remain male-dominated. I can't see it changing. As in the the tape measures and moving yeah. figures. Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a precision and attention to detail that would do the head in of a lot of women. Yeah, 
and the subject matter. A lot of the subject matter of the sci-fi and fantasy and historical just yeah. sort of no interest. Reenacting the Battle of Monte Cassino, that's yes. not a big thing yeah. for most women. No, no. It's, uh, n- no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using a second probe as a data relay. Having discussed different types of gaming and gamers, let's hear from the horse's mouth. Tom Rowland is a tabletop war gamer. That means that figures are arranged on a table with scenery such as buildings or other landscape features within which the action can take place. Players use dice rolls and tape measures to generate the action. Tom's main interest is in the model figures used in the games. Can you start by telling me please how you got into gaming? I was about eight years old and it was Christmas and there was an advert on TV for a game called Hero Quest. There was also an advert for a game called Space Crusade and they were really cheesy, lots of bad animatronics and I thought, those figures look awesome, I really want those. I was always into toy soldiers. My father always had stacks of American GIs and German SS figures and he used to paint them sometimes. He was always fascinated with model cars, he collected dinky toys and I think that was a, a kind of shared experience with him. It wasn't until I went up to school, to secondary, I was about 11 years old and a teacher was running a minority time activity, they called it, on a Friday afternoon and there was one for model kits. So I picked it because I didn't want to go and do rugby. I didn't want to go and do any of the other stuff that was on the list. And when I went along, there were a load of older guys playing Warhammer at the back of the room painting the models. And that's what gave me the confidence to go in and actually go into the, the games workshop in town and buy a couple of models. But not everyone is into gaming in the same way. For some, it's the story. For some, it's just about the winning. But for others, it's the models and figures and using those to let their imaginations take flight. Right, none of the snapshots hit. And six of the bolt gunshots hit. Okay. And it sounds like you were very much into the modelling side, like the physical, you could physically see and touch the characters. Why was that, do you think? I've all, I'd always been into action figures from a very early age. I remember being about maybe three and my father coming home. They were always buying me toys. I was, the, I was the youngest child and I was the only boy at the time. And he came home with this action force truck and it was Snake Eyes. G.I. Joe figure, Americans call him G.I. Joe. And with these multi-jointed plastic figures, they had vehicles, they had accessories, all that stuff. I loved them. I loved Transformers. I loved anything that was a figure that was articulated. It had to be articulated. I wasn't interested if it couldn't move. I wasn't interested in that at all. I had to be able to move it to be able to do something with it and act out some kind of scene with it. I collected them habitually. I think my mum thought as I got older, I would grow out of it. And I never did. I've met a lot of war gamers who can be quite neatly put into two categories. You get one category that is all about gaming. Some of them make the jump from computer games. They never cared about action figures or things anywhere near as much as the rest of us did. And they're really about the gaming. Yeah. They, they, sometimes they get other people to they pay other people to paint their minis for them and build them, or they buy them red, already painted by people on eBay. There's there's a real sub culture, like a kind of hidden economy of war gaming. There's a lot of money to be made in it, but only collectively. Nobody can make a living out of it. Um, and then you get other people like myself who are into the modelling and building. And we tend to have stacks of unpainted, unassembled miniatures. And uh, I think that the unspoken rule, the joke that a lot of people have is that, you know, once you've painted your last mini, then you're f***ed. <laughs> so just make sure you've got loads of unpainted ones, just to keep you going. And some people take that too far. I'm not going to name and shame anybody, but there are some people who have whole lofts full. I've helped people do house moves. 
I'm being shocked. I mean, they could, they actually have more stock of some game systems than our local shop in town. You know, one friend in particular had more stock of uh, the War Machine game system than our local shop in town actually holds at any given time, including their basement. The people from the modelling perspective, the people who come at it from the model side of things, I love that model, I've got to have that model. They don't care how it performs in the game all that often. They don't care about its stats. They, they just they want the model. It's the object. It's the object. It's the physical aspect of it that they really like. And what do they really like about it? What is it about the model that holds the fascination and that makes you sit in and paint it and devote time to it and attention and care? Okay, if I can give you an example, there's the Infinity game system, which is widely regarded as having some of the best models. And the thing, personally, that I really like about them is the character. It's the it's the posing, it's the detail, it's, it's the fact that they look as though they belong to this universe, this background that's been created. I would say that the people that come at it from the modelling aspect of it are also the people who buy all the supporting literature, like the novels and things that go with it. They like all the artwork they like the whole idea of it, and they're much more into what we call narrative play, which is where you create a background, a story. You're still playing the same game as the guys who are just playing it, you know, competitively. And they are, unfortunately, playing it competitively. They don't like it up him, and he's going to get it up him. But they really come at it from a narrative point of view. They want to believe that there's some kind of story acting out and playing out, and they like... They're quite as happy to lose as they are to win, as long as there's that story element to the game. It's just escapism. It's it's real it's real escapism and that's the aspect of the hobby that I think certainly myself and, and the people that I'm closest to, the people I choose to be with at, at you know, at my gaming club and in my social circle, they're certainly the people that fall into that category. It's about that suspension of disbelief. I feel that there's some kind of an accord there. You, you, only because you you know, you're making me think about it now. I never actively sort those people out. It just happens. You go, you play a few different people. You see who's up for a laugh, who really cares about it. A lot of us, you know, there are rules and they're really, they're strict, they're as strict as you make them. But a lot of the time, it comes down to a question, certainly with the people that I game with regularly. Okay, the rules say we should do this. The rules say that you can't jump off this building. You've got to roll a dice and, and you know, you should be dead. But what would be cool? It would be really cool if this guy landed on his feet and then rolled over and then got up and shot the three guys. Yeah, that would be really cool. Let's try that. So it's more about that, you know. If you get into gaming, then you're probably going to join a gaming club in order to enjoy your hobby to the fullest. Tom tells us about the Glasgow Games Group, or G3, that he's a member of and that we've been hearing clips of throughout this programme. One. Like an angel of death, this warlord personifies the fury of the Emperor's wrath, causing heretics, traitors and Xenos to quail in fear. Are you a member of a club? I am a member of a club, yes. It's called G3, Glasgow Games Group. Where do you meet and what do you do on club evenings? Well, we're very fortunate to have the, the Woodside Halls every Tuesday night uh, between 6.30 and 10th. 10.30, 10 o'clock, something like that. It's quite long, but you need that time. You're talking about setting up and then, you know, going getting fast food, talking with all the other guys, because your games will be interrupted every five minutes. People will be coming over to see what you're doing, just talk to you, make rude comments to you, just insult you generally, and, and a, a, you know, in a really macho way, and uh, just a testosterone-fueled environment full of guys and the occasional girls that come in every so often. But it's not what everyone thinks, you know, like, everyone thinks that, you know, Girls will come into the, and everyone's like, oh, it's a girl, it's a girl. A lot of us are actually married or in relationships. We're actually all, we're really quite normal, most of us. 
We have a few guys that are real shut-ins, real quiet characters that are just completely immersed. But, you know, there are guys. You know, that's what they do, and they're, they're good guys, and they've been with us for ages. And There's a lot of really good people in there. Incredibly funny guys, very witty. I'd say almost uniformly everyone in there is, is, is really quite dry, pretty sharp, really clever in their own way, and they really do have a lot to, to recommend them. It's just one aspect of our lives, that's all it is. One very small aspect on a Tuesday night for most of us. It just sounds like a club for for any other activity. It does, it's just not as cool. Why? It's just perception. Who says what's cool and what's not? Who says what's cool and what's not? Well, tossers say what's cool. You know, if, if you decide that you think you know what is cool, then you're full of shit. But I think I just maybe have subscribed to that popular belief that it can't be cool because it doesn't involve drinking and beautiful women. I suppose there's that aspect of it. It's something that people don't understand and they're too afraid to understand. So, I mean, a lot of things get the same rap. Drama gets the same rap. People think that because you're an actor or because you're into drama, because you like art, that you're a pretentious twat. It's nonsense. You like what you like. That's all there is to it. Look at films like The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Like Steve Carell and the Forty Year Old Virgin, he's got like these big toy collections and stuff. I know guys like that that have got families and they have jobs. You know, I know guys like that who don't have families or jobs and they never will. I mean, it's but that's their choice. They're actually quite happy. But do you know the sad thing about it? A lot of guys like that don't realise that they're happy the way they are. I know guys that are in this hobby that have houses full, full of models. You know, their cat is almost feral. They've got like open cans of food lying in the kitchen from like you know the thirtieth. 14 years ago stuff like that and they think oh I can't get a girlfriend oh man I'm really alone I'm, I'm really lonely I'm like, you don't really want one if you wanted one you'd shave the cap you'd clean the place up you'd go out and get some proper clothes that's what you would do if you wanted one you want what you think society wants you to have that's what you want yeah they've watched the 40 year old virgin they've watched it and gone shit I'm that guy oh my god you know, what's the message there for people? He goes and throws all his toys out and, you know, and sells them and whatever else and he changes the way he is. What's the message? That's always the message. Is you get some geeky little shot in who has to change to be like everyone else and he can have this vacuous, boring existence where he has no hobbies or interests. He just spends his day going to work, coming home at night, having a bit of a drink, watching the football... Give me small 28mm miniatures that I can sit and paint and stick something brainless on the computer to watch or listen to and then go along and meet my friends at the club on a Tuesday night, have some disgustingly foul fast food, make some really stupid jokes and argue about rules for a wee bit and then just have a good laugh and just enjoy myself and not have any stress. I feel zero stress on a Tuesday night. I feel zero stress when I sit in pain. So obviously you're then using these models for your G3 game nights and everyone else is bringing stuff along. Surely there's going to be an element of competition there as to who's the best or who, yeah. you know, who you, whose work you admire or who you think, hmm, they could have done a slightly better job. So. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, there definitely is that from my point of view I'll admit to that I'm guilty of that I I kind of look at other people's models a lot and go hmm I'm a bit better than you I do and I, I, I take some pride in it because it is my it is my the thing that I enjoy doing I'm not as good as I could be I'm not as good as some people in the club by half 
there are a lot of people who are really good painters who are really underrated and don't put themselves out there as good painters. I'm going to name drop it. I think Andy Paul is about one of the best painters in the club. And it's not just about the individual quality of his paint jobs, it's about the fact that he produces so much. He regularly fields forces for games that are fully painted, not just painted, really lovingly detailed and really nicely, cleanly painted, and they're a real pleasure to look at. And so does that enhance the gaming experience? It's night and day. But no, it makes a massive difference to have somebody show up. It shows that they've taken a bit of time as well, but it shows that they really actually they care about it. Does your wife ever show any interest in the models or gaming? No. I mean, sometimes I would ask her before, hey, what do you think of this? Do you think that's nice? And she used to just say, I don't know. I don't know because I have no interest in it. But now, in recent years, she's kind of sometimes she's tried to, at least an interest when I show her one and say, what do you think? Do you think that looks okay? See? Yeah, that, that looks that looks pretty neat. She makes some token gesture at, at buying into my sad fixation. What would you think if she started taking an interest, and not just a little interest, but started getting into it? Wow. I, <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, if it's something that was bringing her enjoyment, I'd be, I'd be quite happy for her to do it. And we don't have any gamer couples in the club at all. None of the guys that I know have partners that are even remotely interested in it. They might be interested in other aspects of of fantasy or something. They might be mildly. My wife has no interest in science fiction or fantasy whatsoever. None. Has she ever said anything about it to you? Just about, about what she thinks of it? Yeah, she, she, she thinks it's kind of sad. She does think it's sad, yeah. She, does, she doesn't think it's pathetic. I never actually took it back up until we'd started going out and she was away in France. So I took it back up because I was looking for a hobby. And I... I had the job, whereas before I was younger, there was a point with college and university, I had no money. You can't keep up with it. But certainly at that point, I couldn't keep up with it because I was a Games Workshop fan. I didn't know about the existence of any other systems or models. I didn't realise there were other games that I didn't need as many models for. And I, I, at the time, was still locked into that ignorant cycle of not really understanding it and feeling that if I tried to seek out organised groups of gamers, I would be somehow taking a step closer towards social ostracisation because I still, part of me still bought into that collective ignorance of people that think that what you do is go to work 9 to 5 and you get bevied up at the weekend and you don't do it in the last weekend and the second last weekend of the month because it's not payday yet, you know, and then you go away for a bit, for a holiday, for a weekend every so often, you know, and sometimes you watch a footy, you're watching Big Brother, you know, we had a meal at the Indian the other night, it was alright, I had chicken, my wife had beef. I don't care. It's just like, it wasn't for me, that wasn't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to break away and, and be different. I'm not. It's it's a hobby that I really enjoy. For me, it was more of a step. It was less about saying, I'm not like you, I'm different from you, I'm more interested than you. It's not about that at all. Wargaming's not who I am. It's just a very small part of my life, but it's a really important to me, but it is just a small part. So at the G3 Club next week and at games clubs up and down the country. Space elves will continue to do battle with bionic men, people will boldly go where no man has gone before, and General Rommel will refight El Alamein, and might even win this time. But none of them will do so without first having done a day's work, drop their partner off at her Pilates class, or any of the other day-in, day-out routine things that gaming provides a much-needed release from. And who doesn't need that 